Stillbirth, although relatively uncommon, unfortunately most of us know someone who has a late pregnancy loss. What do we know about causes and prevention of this tragedy? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing pregnancy loss. In this segment, we are focusing on epidemiology and etiology of stillbirth. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Robert Silver. Dr. Silver is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah Medical Center. He is also the director of the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine and has recently received an NIH grant to study stillbirths. Welcome, Dr. Silver. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the first question, of course, is how often does stillbirth occur? It's a general question, but a good place to start. Well, in the United States, the rate of stillbirth is approximately 5 to 7 per 1,000 live births after 20 weeks of gestation. However, as you know, the rates are much higher in many parts of the world. Uh, is the United States rate pretty similar to Japan, Australia, and Europe? It is, uh, although there, there are uh, many first world countries with even uh, lower uh, stillbirth rates than, than we do, so we certainly could do a lot better. I see. So uh, the background rate for our listeners is about 1 in 200. Is that fair? Yes. Now, uh, are, within the United States, are there higher rates in some groups than others? You bet. One of the most striking uh, risk factors uh, for stillbirth uh, is uh, being African-American, where the, the rate is approximately fourfold higher. A 400% higher? Yes. Is that related to socioeconomic status or family income level, or is there any any uh, inkling as to why that would be the case, a further demographic breakdown? You know, in part, uh, there's no, no doubt that there's an issue with regard to access, and uh, there's regard, uh, so there are many... Uh, medical risk factors associated with socioeconomic status, such as an increased risk of infection and increased risk of uh, comorbid diseases like hypertension or diabetes uh, and and decreased access to prenatal care. However, even if you account for all of those problems, there still is a very strong association between black race and stillbirth, so there are clearly other factors that have not yet been identified. What about the extremes of age, the young, and I hate to say it quite this way, but the old, uh, is there an increased risk of stillbirth in either of these groups? There is an increased uh, risk of stillbirth in especially the, the older woman. And the older the, the woman, the higher the risk of stillbirth. The rate starts going up at approximately 35 years of age and then goes up even higher uh, after uh, 40 years of age. Can you give us some idea about uh, what the absolute rate, the background rate for all comers in the United States is about 1 in 200. After the age of 40, uh, what is the absolute rate of stillbirth for the 40 and over group? Again, the, the numbers uh, uh, vary, but uh, in some studies, it's as high as two to fourfold uh, increase. So again, you're, you're talking, uh, you know, as high as one in 50, probably more like one in 100. That's a pretty significant increase. What about smokers? The, the risk is also uh, increased with smoking approximately twofold. And one of the really interesting things about smoking is that if people stop smoking early in pregnancy, the stillbirth risk then goes back down to the baseline. So that's certainly something to share with patients. So stopping smoking in the first trimester can really reverse uh, some of the risk. Absolutely. Now, uh, your publications have divided the uh, conditions associated with stillbirth into three broad categories, and I'd like to touch on these categories individually, and that would be, of course, maternal, fetal, and obstetrical conditions. So um, what about maternal conditions that 
are associated with stillbirth. And for the audience, I'm saying associated with because uh, we're a little reluctant in some of these cases to say cause stillbirth because that still may not be clear. I think that's a very important point, and uh, I'm glad that you uh, mentioned that. Well, I borrowed it from your book. <laughs> uh, you know, there are, there are some conditions that uh, people would feel very comfortable truly cause stillbirth, where there are other conditions that would be risk factors, but not necessarily uh, causes. And those are conditions that are present in a lot of live-born infants as well. And it's often very difficult to determine an actual cause of stillbirth. Sometimes no cause is found. Sometimes you may have risk factors present, but they're not clearly causes. A good example of this would be a thrombophilia. And then sometimes there can be more than one potential cause present. For example, if you have a fetus with trisomy 18 that has pneumonia, it's uncertain whether the cause of death is trisomy 18 or pneumonia. So I think that's a very important thing to consider. Let's review some of the factors associated with medical conditions and stillbirths. Can you review some of these problems? It's uh, long been known that, that a variety of medical problems in pregnancy are associated with increased risk of, of stillbirth, and uh, currently they probably are associated with approximately 10% of, of stillbirths. And people are familiar with these, such as hypertension, diabetes, lupus, and things like that. I would posit that some of the most dramatic advances in obstetrics with regard to the reduction in stillbirth has occurred with these conditions. And modern management of things like hypertension and diabetes has dramatically reduced the stillbirth rate. Unfortunately, there still is an increased risk of stillbirth associated with these medical conditions, although with good care, the rate of stillbirth can be dramatically reduced. There are also a variety of other medical conditions, such as uh, obesity, cholestasis of pregnancy, how important is cholestasis of pregnancy uh, in terms of stillbirth? What kind of risk is associated with uh, that? There's a dramatic increase in the risk of, of stillbirth. It's hard to quantify, but uh, estimates are, are approximately, you know, eight to, to, to tenfold uh, increase uh, risk of, of stillbirth. And the mechanism is uncertain. In the past, it was thought that bile acids, the same bile acids that are deposited in the skin and cause puritis, were deposited in the placenta, leading to inflammation, perhaps placental deficiency. However, one of the scary things about cholestasis is that there have been patients with normal NSTs and no evidence of placental deficiency who have still suffered stillbirth. Well, what about some of the fetal conditions associated with stillbirth? Can you give us a, a brief overview of those? The uh, most obvious uh, fetal conditions include genetic causes of stillbirth, and uh, the best studies of these are chromosome abnormalities, which occur in approximately 6 to 12% of stillbirths. However, that number may be higher because often a karyotype isn't obtained more often it's not possible to obtain a karyotype. In addition, there are a proportion of stillborn fetuses who have syndromes that aren't necessarily associated with an abnormal karyotype. These may be due to single uh, gene disorders. What about the infections? Infections are also an important cause of, of stillbirth. The proportion of, of stillbirth uh, due to infections varies, but it's been estimated to be somewhere between 10 and 20 percent. That proportion is higher in developing countries. Bacterial infections are an important cause of stillbirth. Most of those tend to be ascending infections from organisms that reside in the vagina, such as Groupie streptococcus or, or E. coli, uh, and often the organisms that are associated with bacterial vaginosis. However, rarely you can have a blood-borne bacterial infection, such as listeria. There are also many viral uh, infections that can cause stillbirth, perhaps best characterized as parvovirus. Uh, I want to uh, dwell a little bit on these uh, three specific infections, parvovirus, listeria, and strep. Uh, let's talk about pyrovirus first. In the early 90s, there was an emerging literature on the dangers of pyrovirus, 
And then it's my clinical impression that those articles were a little bit overstated and that uh, the danger of parvovirus is actually relatively small. Why don't you give us your perspective on where parvovirus fits in in stillbirth and even what the absolute risk to the pregnant patient is of a parvovirus infection? I think there's some, some truth to both sides of that in that parvovirus is probably an important cause of stillbirth from a population basis. However, on an individual patient basis, the risk from parvovirus is very low because it's a fairly common infection. With regard to cohorts of stillbirth, the proportion of stillbirths that are due to parvovirus really is influenced by how the parvovirus is assessed. And in studies using serology, the proportion of stillbirths due to parvovirus is relatively low, perhaps less than 1%. However, a couple of studies using PCR to assess whether parvovirus was present in the fetus or the placenta reported even uh, up to a 10 or 12% rate of parvovirus infection. It's possible that there were some false positives in those studies. The, the results are certainly interesting and should prompt further study of whether or not parvovirus infection is a more common cause of stillbirth than we previously recognized. From the clinician's point of view, uh, in terms of counseling a mother whose child has been exposed to parvovirus in school, other than doing serial titers and telling her whether she's been infected or not or is even immune, there's really not a lot that can be done. Uh, is that correct? Well, there are some things that can be done. So in contrast to evaluating a pool of stillbirths, wherein parvovirus may be a meaningful contributor to the stillbirths, the vast majority of women who are exposed to parvovirus infection, or even the vast majority of women who get a parvovirus infection during pregnancy, are at very low risk to have a stillbirth. And that's very important for parents to recognize. First, about half of women of reproductive age have already been exposed to parvovirus, and so they can't get it again. Once you get it, you're immune. Second, most women who are exposed don't actually get the virus. Third, even if you get it, contract an acute infection during pregnancy with, with a positive IgM antibody, only about 10% of those fetuses will be born stillborn. You know, the risk is probably lower with infections later in pregnancy. There's really no treatment for these mothers, is there? Is there an immune globulin that they can be given if they're infected? There's no treatment with regard to the actual infection itself. However, the mechanism of fetal death is uncertain, but the virus is trophic for hematopoietic precursor cells and also for myocardium. And so some of these fetuses will become hydropic, and the mechanism of, of death is hydrops with anemia and myocardial dysfunction. Some of these fetuses, while they're hydropic, have received blood transfusions and have gone on to resolve the hydrops and be born alive with no apparent sequelae. However, some hydropic fetuses, secondary to parvovirus, have resolved spontaneously without a blood transfusion. So it's controversial as to whether the blood transfusion improves the outcome. Nonetheless, it's generally recommended that these patients be screened for the development of high drops. And if it's going to develop, it's almost always develops between three and five weeks after the infection. If it hasn't developed at five weeks, you can be confident that the risk of high drops is extremely low. What about listeria? The get often asked as obstetricians about eating deli meats, and my suspicion is that the prohibition against deli meats uh, really came from the risk of uh, food poisoning, I suspect, from actually uh, the dangers of listeria. Is uh, food poisoning uh, a common cause of stillbirth, and what about the role of listeria per se? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I really believe that the, the prohibition against deli meats and also cheeses is, is really uh, overblown in, in my view. And 
you know, for the most part in this country, we're, we're not in the habit of uh, selling uh, meats or cheeses that uh, contain bacterial infections. And so I wouldn't uh, discourage patients from having cheese or deli meat if, if they wanted to. But listeria is uh, certainly can be a cause, uh, a maternal systemic infection that can also infect the fetus and result in stillbirth. You bet. There's no question that, that it, uh, it can cause stillbirth. However, it's, it's really uh, uncommon, and it's not clear that any epidemiologic uh, or behavioral change can really reduce that rate. I want to thank Dr. Robert Silver, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah Medical Center, who has been our guest. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.